Hello there, and welcome to the podcast of the best-selling travelogue around the world in 80 cigars. It features fascinating people, amazing places, daft adventures, and great cigars from across the globe. You can buy the book from all good bookshops, from your favourite cigar merchant, or if you'd like your own personally signed copy, you can get one direct from me by emailing nick at nick-hammond.com. Enjoy the pod. How would you like to feature in your very own episode of Around the World in 80 Cigars, the podcast? Host and author Nick Hammond, that's me, is now ready, willing and able to interview you personally for your very own unique and bespoke episode of the pod. It'll be available for just you and your friends. The perfect gift for the adventurous cigar-loving special one in your life, or just a treat to yourself. This exclusive podcast edition will be presented by me and delivered to you electronically edited and complete with podcast music. Visit www.nick-hammond.com or drop me a line at nick at nick-hammond.com to find out more. Well, hello there, everybody, and welcome back to Around the World in 80 Cigars with me, your host, Nick Hammond. Now, today's guest, I think it's fair to say, is recognised very much as a master in his field. He's, he's what I would call a local boy done good. He's someone who's learnt their craft from the ground up, and he lives and breeds his particular brand, if you want to call it that, every day. He, his exemplary attire and cheerful London accent has become a hit of Twitter and Insta, along with his partner and co-worker Celia and, of course, their faithful hound, Beatty. He, made, he has made suits and coats for royalty. His travelling trunk, trunk road shows have crisscrossed America and uh, his father is quite simply one of Savile Row's tailoring legends. Here to tell us how it all came to pass is none other than Stephen Hitchcock, Master Taylor. Hello, Stephen. Hi, Nick. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> how are you, my friend? Yeah, not too bad. Yeah, very well, actually. Keeping keep safe. And that, yeah. as we all know, is the important thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It so is tell, us, <laughs> tell people who don't know anything about you, give yourself just a little introduction to what you do. Well, I am a bespoke tailor. Um, a genuine like Savile Road tailor that's um, been in the trade for 30 years. Yeah. And um, I learned the trade from my father, and he was in it for 55. Well, he's still sort of in it now, but I mean, um, he was in. He, he used to work at Anson Shepherd, and he'd done, or oh, he worked there for about 55 years. And your father's so, John Hitchcock. John Hitchcock, yes, that's right, yes. Well, let's start, so, um, let's start at the beginning. Tell me about... You know, we've had this conversation over over lunch, but I mean, let's tell our listeners um, mm. how you. I mean, obviously, you were always aware of what your dad was doing. Were you always interested in in? in did he talk about it? Did he bring work home? How did it start? For you? <laughs> well, I suppose he did bring work home. I suppose when I mean when he was you know, very young, um, he was a trouser maker, right? And uh, he, he used to bring trousers home and, and uh, make them at home as well. But um, I remember sometimes he used to bring home 
you know, um, trousers that were very big, so like a 60-inch waist for the gentleman. Yeah, so he used to put me in one leg and my brother David in the other leg. <laughs> I, mem- I remember that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, my father was a tailor, but I, didn't th- I don't think he wanted me to go into the trade oh. uh, straight away. I mean, it was really my granddad that said to me, why don't you try what your dad's doing? Because was I left school. as well, Stephen? What, my granddad? Mm. No, he wasn't. No, hairdresser. Right. That was me mum's dad. But my mum was a tailor, tailoresser, Angela Shepherd as well. So my mum and dad met Angela Shepherd in the early 70s, I suppose. Or late 60s, sorry. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, I was... Uh, uh, where are we? What, what was the question? He was a trouser maker and well, a shepherd at, back in the day, was he? Yeah, when he first started, when he was 15, he started working at Anderson Shepherd and he was, he took on an apprenticeship as a um, trouser maker. And right. then, um, that was under Frank Layla, uh, one of the old uh, characters there. And then, um, he got invited to do the cutting. They wanted someone to do the cutting for the trousers, which is quite unusual at these big tailoring firms. They don't, um, like today, there's not many tailors or um, how can you put it, tailoring shops that employ um, a cutter to do the top half and a cutter that does the bottom half. Why but, is that? Well, I mean, in them days, in the um, 80s, well, <laughs> they had a recession, didn't they? But after the recession, it got really, really, really busy. So um, they were so busy, they couldn't cut. They had like four or five directors there that were cutters, you know, that made jackets or anything from the waist up yeah. so they didn't want to do the trousers so they got me dad i suppose to to do the trousers um and they were very very busy um, so so they, in, the, in the 60s or whatever when you're mm. in the absolute heyday of, of the savile row suit aren't you you i, yeah. I, I get you know thinking of carrie grant and, and people like oh that. blimey yeah oh yeah no i mean they, they were good dress well-dressed people yeah, they had, um, yeah, Carrie Grant and all Fred Astaire and Duke of Windsor and all these people. They they were, um, they always have a connection with their tailors. Yeah. Um, it's not so much that now, really, because most of the, um, you know, the tailoring now is more sort of ready to wear and it's sort of made off, a, off of a block, if you like, and they, you know, if it fits, they just adjust it a little bit and, and that's that. But in the old days, the proper suit, you know, the suit that I make today is... Um, the old-fashioned way, really, and um, it's uh, it's the flatter the, the wearer. So you know, they do have an input into what they what they want to wear and how they want to look, and they, and uh, that's what Cary Grant would have done. And um, yeah, say Fred Astaire, you know, all of them. You know, Chanel. Uh, talking about those sort of clients coming into the shop. Uh, not really, not really. But he did. I mean, as a shepherd, when my dad was there, and even now. They uh, they dress everyone. I mean, everyone. Yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, when I went there, the first day I went there, um, I started an apprenticeship in, um, well, the 1st of September 1990. Did you? And, um, well, in, 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 you know, that was 30 Savile Row. So, you know, it was in Savile Row at the time. They've moved now. But um, in the old shop, when I went out for lunch next door, there was um, Elton John. He's pulled up in the car with Robbie Williams. Yeah, and um, in the shop that day, um, there's there's a loud like speaker. Like they press a button and try and get the cutters to come down to see the client. So they got to say the client's name, and 
and one of the clients was um oh what was his name oh blimey oh, i've forgotten his bloody name there but he's a he's another film star so right. i mean um, yeah I did, Terrence, was it liam nilson yeah oh, i mean yeah. I did, yeah i mean it just um it was i mean uh, but uh, you know before that i was a mechanic i wanted to be a mechanic so i did i did that for sort of six months or so when i left school and that's when my granddad said, why don't you go and work with your dad? I didn't really know what my dad did. I certainly didn't know he was a director or shareholder really? of the company. I, I just like thought he made suits. Did mm-hmm. you like that? Did you, you didn't get on with the mechanics? No, well, I did. I, I quite liked it, but I was coming home filthy dirty. So <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think my mum got fed up washing the overalls and uh, they must have thought, oh, this ain't no good. But I mean, I really enjoyed it. But, um, you know, I just... You know, I enjoyed making, you know, cars and things like that. I do enjoy, but um, the tailoring, what I enjoyed there, when I went there on that, when I, just, I actually took a day off from the car mechanic and, and just had to see if I enjoyed the tailoring. And my dad put me in a workshop with Michael Arter, who's a trouser maker, and I just did a day with him. And um, as I say, over the loudspeaker, there was Leon Nielsen downstairs, and then um, I, I bumped into Elton John outside, and um, all That's the lights were Piccadilly, you know, all the lights walking down the road, Savile Road, into Piccadilly and up Regent Street when you have your lunch hour, you know. And I just thought, wow, this is alive up here. This is buzzing. Yeah. And um, basically in the morning, Michael was given a pair of trousers to make. It, you know, you can't make a pair of trousers in a day, but he made a base, sort of fitting. So I see um, my father cut the trousers from a piece of cloth uh, from a paper pattern to a piece of cloth, gave it to Michael, and then Michael put together these a base. And I found that very fascinating to see um, something, you know, f- you know, flat, and then it's a 3D product. And I thought, wow, this is interesting. And um, I thought, oh, I wouldn't mind trying this. And also, it was uh, it was treble treble the money. <laughs> well, that always helps. Yeah, the mechanic I think was twenty three quid, and uh, that was like at the end of my road in North London, and. Um, Savile Row, it was, um, I think, 78 quid or something like that, 85 quid. And, um, yeah, so they offered me a, a four-year apprenticeship and I took it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And was your dad always immaculately attired? Oh, yeah. All the time. Every day. Even now. Really? Even now. He, uh, he wouldn't wear um, a pair of jeans or anything like that. He's always, wear, he's always wearing trousers. Even if he's doing the gardening, oh. he's wearing a pair of trousers. Yeah, he's got... Obviously, being the trouser maker, he um, he makes his own trousers, and uh, yeah, he's got plenty of them. <laughs> You'd always wear a, a shirt and a collar. Oh, oh no, not um, not weekends, but most right. of the time he would wear shirt and collar. Yeah, I mean, if we go out for a meal, he obviously wears his blazer or a sports jacket. He would never go out, you know, just with a shirt on. Um, that's not one of these things he does, but um, yeah. And did no, he, he you, is that, is that, did you sort of begin to pick up your style once you started yes. or was it before then? Well, no, I, yeah, I think that's part of it, really. When, my, when I was growing up um, and seeing my father come home from work, because um, he's got to work very early, like six o'clock in the morning, but when he'd come home at six in the evening, he'd have his suit on. And I suppose at the time, I didn't really think much of it, but then... Oh, sudden when I started at Asheville Shepherd, I'd, I'd realised that the, what I've been looking at for twenty years, my dad coming home from work, it was actually um, it was sort of the look was in my head already for a suit. So I could see the way the lapels 
you know, it sounds a bit um, strange, but like the double-breasted lapel would always curve up and the peak lapel uh, would be one and seven-eighths by two and a quarter and the width would probably be three, uh, four and a quarter wide and the gorge line was quite high and everything, it was it was already in my head to see a style that I um, really, I suppose, got brought up on. But I didn't realise I was doing it at the time. I was just having me dinner with my dad, but I was looking at a suit. Wasn't I, I suppose? Do you remember your first suit? My first suit? Yeah, of course I do. Yeah, I had two suits, you know, when I was 16, again, I was, you know, I started at Anson Shepherd, and there was a lovely man there called Mr. Harvey, Colin Harvey, and uh, he had a lot of uh, flair about him, you know. Um, he used to uh, make for a lot of, you know, the top customers there. And um, he, I asked him, could he cut me a paper pattern? So he cut me um, double-breasted and a single... I had two. I had a double-breasted and a single-breasted. And my dad done the trousers for me. And I picked out an Anthony Shepard special black... Well, for the double-breasted, it was a black, like a diamond-shaped um, self-print, if you like. So it was a woven, but it, it, right. it wasn't a stripe. But it, yeah, inside, just little, like, diamonds. Uh, but from a distance, from a couple of yards back, it just looked dark. But... Um, when you got up close, it had little diamonds in it. And it was a double-breasted, out-ticket pockets, straight cross pockets. And then I had a blue, single-breasted two-piece. So I had a single and a double. And I made them both. And my father made the trousers, I think, for me. And um, they were my first two. And I loved, I, I loved them suits. Can and, you remember uh, what it felt like when you tried them on? Well, you know, when, then I thought, you know, fantastic. Because... Um, um, I was slim then, you know, I was 32 waist or something and um, and uh, looked good. So, I mean, even when I put them on, people were saying to me, God, blimey, you're looking, yeah, it looks amazing. But, I mean, because I had a slim figure, I suppose, at the time, it was really down to Colin Harvey that what he cut into that suit, um, he gave me um, an appearance, you know, a good a good sort of uh, um, a still out. Yeah, it was good. So I wore it and it just, yeah, gives you that sort of, you know, that power when you walk into a room or something, people people thought it was very smart, you know, and uh, yeah, it I, was. This side of what you do absolutely fascinates me, and I can confide in the listener that I'm lucky enough to have a Stephen Hitchcock winter oh, yes. Donegal Irish Donegal tweed. Yes, suit. yes. I have to say to you, it must be what is it, three or four years now since I've had that suit. Yeah, yeah. I reckon that without a word of a lie and without being over dramatic, that suit changed my life. Really? I believe wow. that how a bespoke suit makes you feel and also how you are regarded and dealt with, mm. Uh, mm. I, it's, it's revelatory. I really do. And, mm. um, you know, it sounds like bullshit, but I have to say, yeah. having experienced it, I would. Never go back and buy another suit off a peg and go, oh, that will do. Now, yeah. don't get me wrong, your suits are amazing, and because they're amazing, they're expensive, so I haven't yet yeah. managed to save enough to come back and see you, but I will. Um, yeah. But um, it's just just extraordinary how they suddenly, you know, really give you that look, and you walk taller, and you feel more confident, and mm. it just gives you gives you that lift. And, and I know yeah. that's how you would describe it to prospective clients as well wouldn't you yeah but exactly that i mean i think you're right i think some people when they put a suit on they become a different person and they're you know whatever you want out of life if you um you know if you want to go and get something you know you're going to get picked if you're wearing a nice suit i mean if you're gonna a lot of bankers 
they, they come to us and get out of suits because they're after the same jobs. And, you know, if you stand out and people remember you, or if you're a lawyer and you're going in that courtroom, you want people looking at the suit. You don't want people thinking, you know, the chap's obviously done it and I'm trying to get him off. You know, they want to look at you and think, you know, he looks the part. He's got, he's got something about him and he's doing all right for himself. Yeah, so I think, um, I think uh, it's also it's not like pretending to be someone else, but it's um, it's yeah, a better version of yourself, isn't yes, it? Yes, exactly, and it makes you look like you know what you're doing, you know what you're talking about, and you, you know, you're comfortable in your own skin, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, a lot of people they do, as you know, like when you they come in if it's a new customer and never had a bespoke suit before. And we ever, you know, we do quite a few of those because. We're sort, you know, we're sort of um, more approachable than some of these bigger companies because we're more sort of down to earth and a bit more fun. Yeah. But yeah. we do make a proper product, but um, we are more approachable. So people do get quite a few new customers, but um, when they come in, you know, we have to have consultation with them, see what they actually want the suit for. Um, you know, is it work or is that going to a wedding or where they're going to wear it? What country are they going to, you know, and um, you know, when they when you measure someone, they, they you know, you put the suit on. They seem to stand up a lot more erect, and uh, uh, they feel you know much taller and much you know better of the self. So um, I think the you don't have to be a you don't have to be a Cary Grant clothes horse or anything. No, no. Is, you you take all their little imperfections into account. Right? Yeah, well, exactly, exactly. I mean, I look back with a suit on, I can guarantee that. <laughs> if I took the suit off, you'd see me belly and everything. But, I mean, the <laughs> suit, you, you know, you can um, hide everything, really. If a man's got a round back or a big belly or a dropped shoulder or a hip that's bigger than the other hip. or You know, all these things we take into consideration. And bow legs, if the man's got, you know, if his knees are four inches apart or, you know, you've got a big gap between the knees, we can hide all this with the way that we cut. And um, that's part, everyone should have a bespoke suit, um, I think. Yeah, for I, think uh, I, I yeah. have sort of started writing a draft. Uh, oh, yeah. Maybe one day will come out. I don't know if it ever will, but I just thought <laughs> about it one day. And it was, you know, if if and when I ever get to a position where people think, you know, he's worth listening to, you know, I wanted to write the things that to me had made a difference in my life. And and, and wow. do you know what? The, my, the first thing I was going to say to a young gentleman, let's just say it was, yes. um, let's say it was going to be called a gentleman's guide to, to the good life or a gentleman's guide to yeah. life or something like that. Yes. How, you know, how to make the best of what you've got, how to enjoy life. And, you know, just from my experience, I'm not no expert, but my thought, the first right. thing I was going to say was, you know, it may sound you know, totally um, counterproductive. And even if you've got no money, you'll just laugh at this. But I would say to you, start putting money aside and buy a bespoke suit. Yes. Because well, I, I think believe it, it, that it, it, that would be a step on, on your ladder. Yeah, I mean, you haven't got to buy, you know, a several row suit. You know, our suits are £4,000. But, I mean, you could yeah. save up, you know, what they say, I think it's what you earn per week, or is it per month that you can spend on a suit? So whatever you earn per week, I think that's what they say. So obviously, we, we're catering for, you know, rich people or billionaires. You know, most of our customers are millionaires or billionaires. But really, um, yeah, I mean, that's the clientele that we. That's why we travel the world because they're not. You know, we need more customers that want these um, want these garments. But if you know, um, you could buy a good suit 
um, not made in Savile Row. If it's bespoke and you've got a good cutter, I mean, there's only two things really that it comes down to, and that's the cutter and the coat maker. And the let's, maker, let's but... give some people an advice. They they would mm. the gold standard is one of your suits. If that is out of reach for the time being, what should they do as a you know just to to, to get on that ladder? And what should they look for for quality? Well, to get a suit, well, as I say, spend, if you can, spend, you know, um, look, pay the most you can for a suit. I mean, um, you know, if you want to get a bespoke suit, as I say, there's, there's, there's people out there that can make your suits for less money, um, but it's got to be made by a good coat maker and a, it's got to be cut by someone decent. So if you're going to go into a shop, ask to see the cutter. And if they, because a lot of these tailors, they will say, oh, yeah, they're cut on the premises. Okay, can I make, oh, no, you're, you're no, I'm just going to, try this coat on you and then we're going to... No, 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 that's not what the bespoke suit is. A bespoke suit is the best fit, you know, the best cut and, um, you know, the best service. It's not it, it's not um, a ready-to-wear garment, but um, some of the ready-to-wear garments... Is that a telltale sign of somebody who's not doing, you know, who's cutting corners if you go in and say, I'd like to meet the cutter, and they say, mm. oh, well, don't worry, sir, we'll do that. Yeah. Well, that's right, yeah. That, that would be my first concern. If I can't see the chap that's going to do the work, I, I wouldn't bother. Because right. you've got to get a rapport with that gentleman, you know, or, or the cutter. And, um, yeah, you get rapport with them and you've got to look, you know, if they look smart and, you know, you can look at what they're wearing and you can ask them the questions. What you, you know, you're not just buying a suit. You're, you're trying to um, get into someone's mind really and, and, yes. and see what they're going to give you i mean um because everyone's got a different eye and they look at things differently but i mean you can you know today ready to wear has got a lot better so ready to wear suits are um you know fantastic compared as you know go, going back to the, the 1980s there was no ready to wears really then they were just chester barry who were very good but i think chester barry yeah i think that must have been about then but um um yeah but nowadays, there's hundreds of thousands of ready-to-wear garments out there. Everyone's doing it. Yes. So, yes. Um, but you've got to try them on and just see what fits you best because everyone cuts off a different block and um, you could try on six or seven 40 chests and they'll all be different. So you might as well just try on lots of different ones. Well, that's um, the other thing I was going to ask you. Each, each tailor will have his own style as well, won't he? So... Well, yeah. How do you navigate that? Because a suit isn't just a suit, is it? No, I mean, most tailors, um, they should have their own style, I think, because whatever you believe in, I believe in the soft tailoring because that's what I was taught. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I don't know anything else, really. So that's what I would sell. I sell, you know, a high arm or wide shoulder, soft shoulder, comfort. You know, everything is very comfortable, drapey, um, but not baggy. I mean... Um, you know, We're not I'm talking sort of huntsman military, are we? No, no, that's right. Yeah, everyone, that's right. Huntsmen's have got a great style, or one button hacking jacket sort of style. Um, if it's you know, straight a shoulder, um, and there's a few others, you know, half a dozen more that have a you know, their own house style. It's when you, if you go to um, no, a ready to wear shop, they're making suits for like a Wenson suit, shall we say. They're, 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 there's a company that they, you know, called Benson that make a suit, but it's the same suit. And about a hundred or th- you know, a hundred people might sell that under their own name. Right. So it's the same suit with someone else's name on it. So I mean, that's what you want to get away from. You want to get something that is um, unique to you. You don't want to buy something that 
you know, every shop's selling in the same, but, you know, one person's on Savile Road, they're selling it for £1,000 more than the chap in Manchester. And it, it's all the same suit. It's it's um, yes. it's a way to measure suits. So let's not forget that. But, I mean, bespoke suits are really down to the cutter and the coat maker. They're the two people that you want experience in. You know, we got very lucky to have a John and Roxy working, um, you know, among others. But Johnny's um, the father of Roxy and Johnny's 70-something, 72, I think, maybe. My dad's 74, so I'm just thinking John's a bit younger. But not, I'm not too sure how old he is, but he's in his 70s. And then Roxy's um, in her late 20s. So uh, they both make coats for me. So John... Um, his experience has um, really changed my business. And, you know, the last 15 years, when, we, when John started working with me, we've really, really upped our game and really making, you know, some really nice stuff. You know, and I think, it, it you know, it's, you know, it really is the top. I mean, there's not many tailors out there now that are making, um, you know, um, what's it called? Sort of a, um, um, every time it's the same same quality it's always it's so consistent our stuff there it's really really fantastic so people that could order cut the suits here cut the suits there and um they're always going to be the same because we've got the same coat makers we've got a system and and it, it really does work and, yeah. and let's talk about if are you able to talk about a couple of your i mean obviously don't bandy names and things around generally but are you able to talk about mm. a couple of really interesting products that you've done over the years because I know you've done all sorts of amazing stuff. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. We could talk about, I think I know what you're trying to get to. <laughs> <laughs> are you, are you regarding the, are you talking about um, His Royal Highness, the Prince of Wales? Well, I did have that on my mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, we was very fortunate to, yeah, we made for him a couple of times or a few times actually. But when I first started on my own in 1999, uh, September again, um, yeah, I started on my own. And, um, and um, uh, yeah, I was at old, old Burlington Street. Right. And uh, this is at the back of Savile Row. And, um, yeah, I um, went down to the palace, actually. I'll tell you the story. I went down to the palace and I put a letter over to the policeman there. No. Um, yeah, on the gate. Well, the thing was, I saw um, in the magazine a couple of, I don't know, two weeks before, and there was a like a Sunday supplement, and because uh, I was in quite a few magazines then, now we, we don't do any of that, but um, right. so I was always looking in the magazines for what's going on, and I, there was a picture of His Royal Highness, the Prince of Wales, um, and it was a big piece, and he doesn't like anything like this, you know, and there was a picture of him in the suit, and it had, um, had him wearing a shirt, tie, shoes, and everything had an arrow to it, and it was a mate, a measure company that was making for him at the time. And um, you know, I wrote a letter saying to him that he should really have a bespoke suit. That's what I thought, because he's you know future king and and yeah. whatnot. So, um, and obviously, my father made for him from the eighties, but there was there was there was a period of time when um, they lost the world warrant, I think, and. Um, and uh, he went to someone else. Anyway, so I, wrote, I took this letter down to the palace, to James's, and gave it to the police. We're saying, you know, yeah, my name's Stephen Hitchcock, and I'd like to make the prince a suit, and, you know, we can make him a bespoke suit, and really, he should be wearing bespoke suits. And, and did the police look at you like you're mad? Yeah, no, he took it. He took it, and he, he just threw it on the on the corner, and I thought, but he looked at me, and went, no, I'll pass that on, and he just threw it down, and I thought, oh, well, that's not going anywhere. And then... Yeah. Um, 
And as I say, like that was like on a Friday. On the, what a week later, I got a phone call from his valet. Yeah. Saying, saying, yeah, saying he'd like you to come along, and um, his one lines would like you to come along. Um, can you come along at eight thirty in the morning on the next Tuesday? I mean, I went, yeah, of course I can. So, um, yeah, so I went along. This and, is um, this James's Palace. Yeah, I mean, right. he's, moved, he's moved now. He's moved to um, Clarence House, hasn't he? Yes. His mother's, grandmother's, but um, it's only across the road. Um, so, yeah, I went to St. James's uh, Palace, and um, what did I make him? I think the first the first thing I made him was a dinner suit. Well, did you could tell us yeah. about that? You must have been wondering what on earth you were going to go through. Did you sort of have to go through security and all of that stuff? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, the security is, yeah, hot. So um, yeah. yeah, no, you have to go. You have to go into a little room, and then they have to check you out. But you have to have actually. Um, I was actually helping at a scout camp at the time, and we had to have um, a check there. I can't uh, remember what it's called now. You know, if a school teacher or something, um, yes, to get the checks. I can't remember what it's called now. But yeah, CAB check. Yeah, that's it. I had one of those, but I already had it because I was a, I was helping out the scout, so I already had this um, this this certificate thing. And uh, so when the police were checking me out, they, they, it was already there. So they said, right. that's okay, you've got that, you've passed that. And I suppose they must check you for bits and pieces, make sure you ain't got, you know, a gun on you or something. But um, yeah, they yeah. check you down and then um, then the valley comes across. And I've met, oh, no, I've never met the valley before, ever. no, no. So um, he come over and said, um, oh, come, come, come through. And then, um, yeah, then he took me through the back door sort of thing and we went, I sat down, there was a big table. It was like um, Downton Abbey. Really? Yeah, you know, like, yeah, you know, like um, a bell that, you know, yeah, when, prince, yeah. when he wakes up, he rings, he presses it or rings something and it comes downstairs and it, it rings this bell. Yeah. So uh, the valley was like, um, well, sit down and um, and there was a cook there and um, and security and and they were going to take him out somewhere. So they had um, his security in his car waiting. But um, they said, oh, when he rings the bell, um, You've got to be ready and um, uh, have a cup. You know, do you want a cup of tea? I said, oh, I'll have a cup of tea. I think I'd a bit of toast or something. And then the bill went and he went, well, on your feet. And, and then <laughs> he went, he said, I'll um, wait at the bottom of the stairs. I'll go up and then um, I'll call for you. So uh, so that's what he did. And I went up there and I think that's what happened. Anyway, I can't, I can't remember exactly, but I'm sure that's what happened. But I know one of them, we had to sit down and say, but we went up and then he must have gave me this cloth. That's right, yeah, he gave me the, no, he didn't give me the cloth. No, he gave me, he had a suit that my dad had made, or Mr Harvey had made, uh, uh, and it was double eight ten Smith's, double eight ten uh, Barathea uh, dinner suiting, and he said that he wants exactly the same as this, and um, can you do it? And I went, yeah, I can get that, I, I know the cloth, I can get it. And um, and then I had to measure the prints, but the prints, um, I measured him in the bedroom, and it was black, it was dark, you know, it was oh. Castle, you know, and um, he had no lights on, and so I was measuring him, and um, yeah, I don't know what what was going on. But it did was he say much to you or not really? Um, a little bit. I can't really remember. I remember um, the valet saying to me, you know, don't shake, you know, don't put your hand out when you, you know, if he wants to shake your right. hand, he will do. Yeah. And then when you walk in, you you bow and you say good morning, your royal highness, and then you call him sir, and then when yep. you leave, thank you, royal highness. And that was it. So I just did that, Friendly. and um, yeah, I just remember, you know, we had you know bits and pieces everywhere in in this room, and it was all dark, and I couldn't really see much. And then measured <laughs> him, and I couldn't believe it. You know, when you you know 
not starstruck, but when you see him, you, you just can't believe it. No. It's standing in front of you because, you know, when you're working for yourself, not at the minute, it's obviously gone very quiet, but when we was, when you first started working for yourself, it's every 10 minutes you're, you know, doing something else. So you're rushing around everywhere and then all of a sudden, bang, you're standing like a foot away from the future King of England. Unbelievable. So, uh, yeah, really, really good. So I made him this dinner suit. So I went back a few times and fitted it and everything. And um, he was really pleased with it. He was so pleased. He, he said to me, I don't know how you got it so close to Colin Harvey. Because, he, you know, Mr. Harvey used to cut all his stuff. How did you get feedback from him? Did you hear from the valet or...? Well, no, I, I went back there a few times. Right. And, well, the funny thing was when I went back, it happens quite a lot, really. Um, they were older. So I went back with the suit and, and then he went, oh, I've been, you know, he wanted two two other suits. And then, so I must have gone back a few times to fit the other two. And then was the Vicuna overcoat. He had yeah. the, um, he was given a present of this Vicuna. And, and explain, wanted, explain to people what Vicuna is, Stephen. Well, it's one of the finest cloths available. Um, it's basically a llama that lives in very high hills, right up the top of the mountain. It, it can only survive in the, um, you know, the air up there. It's got to be just right. Yeah. And in the old days, in them sort of days, when um, maybe when the prince came in that cloth, or just maybe just before that, they were um, becoming extinct. You know, so the, if Vicuna was so expensive, I mean, it is expensive now, but I mean, then it was really expensive. Because they because, had to kill the animal then, didn't they? Well, that's right, yeah. They had to, well, all they could get is, well, even now, they could only get the, the, the hair from the chin. Unbelievable. <laughs> the hair from the chinny, chin, chin. And uh, so they used, to, they used to kill the animal and get the hair from the chin. And um, now they can farm it. They worked out they can farm it. Right. So they farm these animals, comb it off every four years or something, and then, um, you know, the one, the, 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 the cloth that he had was from Dormay, and you know, we, we made him one after that as well, a few years ago now. So we made him two in the end, but um, the Dormay uh, Vicuna is, is very, very good. It's probably the best Vicuna because it's very long um, strands of wool, and um, it, it really is just so luxurious to... Um, to feel and to tab against your skin. And um, this, is, and it, this is the really famous coat that listeners probably will have seen pictures of. It's a yeah, sort of torn brown it. long overcoat, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, and he really, yeah. he often wears it out and about. He wears it, he wears it not in town, he wears it out of London and he wears it you know, basically every time he goes to church on Christmas Day. But, but um, I mean, as I say, in 2001, I made him a double-breasted, and then yep, about yep. two years ago, um, I made him a single-breasted oh, right. uh, overcoat. So he's got two now. He's got a double-breasted and a single-breasted. So he doesn't like throwing things away, does he? So he's he does look oh. after his clothes. I mean, he, he I mean, yeah, he just doesn't. He just repairs and repairs and repairs. So he doesn't, um, you know, buy too many things. But um, did you have to do anything special with the with the pockets? Because we know he's a, a gentleman who likes to put his hands in his pockets. <laughs> Yeah, no, you can't. You, I didn't know. I mean, I'd like to sew them up because, um, yeah, it does. <laughs> not good, good. Not good for the line, is it? No, he, he likes to rest his feet, hands on the cross pockets on the outside of the coat. Yeah. Uh, so he's bagging out the, the the jetted pockets. You know, you don't really want them to be too baggy, especially on the soft cloth by Vicuna. But we did we did put um, 
some flaps on there, obviously. So the flaps will cover up the bagginess, I suppose. But, um, but yeah, no, he he, um, he loves it. He he loves that soft tailoring style, and um, yeah, I think he looks good in it. Do you, does your dad still make for him? Yeah, he does. Yeah, that's the only customer dad's got. He, but uh, obviously, it's my favorite. Uh, dad's favorite customer, but cool. he still he's, he's got the world warrant. He. Um, in 1987, I think he received the world warrant um, for the uh, for his suits, and um, yeah, he still makes them today. So I think he's got another five years. He gets six years ago. Even when right. I made that overcoat two years ago, the prince said to me, "Oh, he said I'll, I'll never leave your dad. Your dad's um, even though he's retired, he can't he can't leave the trade. He can't he can't uh, you know he must work for me sort of thing." I went, "Yeah, no, no, he, he's definitely going to make your stuff." He, that's what he loves. He doesn't stop talking about it. <laughs> and you, I mean, he's, they're actually become, uh, it would be a fallacy to say they're good friends, but they've become quite good. Oh, yeah. They catch up quite yeah. well. Well, they do. I mean, sometimes the prince, um, my dad, he's, he, he's got a place in Hampshire and London, but sometimes he comes all the way back from Hampshire to see uh, the prince in the vat in the uh, palace. And um, and he says, oh, well, heck, you know, well, how can I help you today, um, you are Linus? Thinking he's going to like reorder or something. And the prince, I was just want you to have a look at this old suit. I've got this old suit. Do you think this is okay? Can I? Can I? <laughs> he just wants him to repair it. Yeah, no, he doesn't even want it repaired. He just wants his opinion on it. Oh, do you, really? Do you, do you, does it does it still fit me? Or it might be his, it might be his dad's or his granddad's or you know. So it's, it's got overcoats that you know been passed down to him, and so he just wants to be certain that he he can you know if he's going to go to Australia for a couple of weeks or or, or you know on a tour down under or, or wherever, whatever he's got to do he wants to look his best so will you so will your dad make him you know um a linen suit for when he goes to a hot, hot climate and that sort of thing well whatever the, whatever the prince wants yeah i mean yeah my dad's made him linen suits before and um yeah i mean funny enough he made him a very lightweight i think it's called dragonfly it's about seven ounce um uh, suit um because one of my clients wanted exactly the same, so I had to find it. And uh, yeah, but it's about seven ounces, so you can't get much lighter than that. I mean, an average suit is about 12, 11, 12, I suppose, in today's sort of climate. So yeah, linen suit, so you could wear, you I know, mean, I love linen, but um, I think he has got a couple of linen suits, but they do crease. Um, and it, as he's being photographed a lot, he might not um, like that. But um, yeah, I, you know, linen is the best. Anything natural is, is brilliant in the um, sun, isn't it? I mean, has that been? Has the linen been superseded by the the sort of seersucker? Or oh well, no seersucker. It's two different animals. You get seersucker, mohair, linen. Um, they're all great in the in the sun, you know. Or right. or you get um, solaro. Loads loads of different um, you know cloths that you can make up from summer wear, you know. And yeah, then, I was going to have was thinking about getting their first suit. What would be a good sort of multi-purpose, long-wearing suit? Well, I mean, obviously blue or grey, um, yeah, I would yeah. say that'd be the first one to go for. Um, and it all depends where you live. If you live maybe in England, and um, I would go for the heaviest you can wear. So I like a 13 ounce. Right. Uh, I, I live in London, and um, that lasts a long time. It, will, um, it would hold its shape. It would drape very well. It won't need a press. And uh, it just lasts a long, long time. It might last 30, you know, 30, 35 years. 
if you look after it. I mean, you yeah. can't just have one suit. You've got to have uh, four or five suits. You've got to build up a wardrobe. Most people, you know, some people would have uh, more than four or five suits, obviously. But um, if, you, if you wear them like every other week, it's going to last a long time. And look after it. Don't, you know, push it together in your wardrobe. Don't cram them in and don't um, keep them clean. Brush them down and give them a bit of, you know, time to breathe and bounce back. Don't keep wearing them out, wearing them out. Um, yeah. And don't get them dry clean too often. Just give them a sponge and press or bring them back to the tailor and they'll press them. Uh, no chemicals on it because that, that ruins them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would go for blue. Myself, I'd definitely go for a blue suit. But most customers, blue or grey first suit, single-breasted. And then, because the single-breasted, if you had a blue single-breasted jacket and trousers, you could wear the blue jacket as a sort of a sports coat yeah. with a pair of jeans or grey flannels or pair of trousers. So that's always good, isn't it? And then, um, yeah, you could dress that up, dress it down. Um, yeah, blue's always very easy colour to wear blue. And then and you move on. Is, is um, a um, sports jacket the same thing as a blazer? Uh, well, not really. But, I mean, the Americans, they seem to call a blazer a blazer and a sports jacket. But, really, a blazer, for me, is a military sort of... Um, right. Garments, so like a double-breasted blazer. I mean, not many people have the brass buttons anymore, but a real no. blazer is brass buttons, you know, or gold buttons, or some sort of, you know, nice shiny button. And um, that's a blazer to me. But a sports coat is um, a hacking jacket, or, or, or you know, um, you know, a tweedy or casual jacket, really, isn't it? So not, not a um, yes, yeah, so something out of a nice. Um, yeah, more colourful cloth. You know, you don't want just a plain yes. blue sports jacket. You're going to want maybe a green check or anything. You know, yesterday I made a bamboo, like um, bamboo beige with a gold check. And yeah, so I mean, you can have more fun with a sports jacket. So you might as well just go for the colour. And, um, you know, because sports jackets, you, you know, you dress them down with the jeans or up with the nice cords or whip cord trousers or flannels or you can dress them up dress them down and they're very easy when you're traveling you just, i always take a sports jacket or two when i travel yeah and um as i say if you're going to the pub pair of jeans if you're going out seeing customers or going to a posh restaurant you could wear um you know um cavalry twill trousers and, and straight away you take your tie off or put your tie on you know it's um very easy to dress up or down yeah, that's yeah, very versatile. Um, mm. I mean, have you presumably you've had to cancel trunk shows for the time yeah. you've been it, have you? <clears throat> yeah, we've had to cancel. Um, we go to America every four months, so we managed to get out there in. Well, we went out there in January. We'd done the last week of Jan, first week of Feb. Yeah, and we were meant to go back in May, but obviously with the um, virus, we couldn't. But now we're hoping to go back out in October, so that's our planned trip. But, I mean, if we, if we can't get it, I've heard today or this morning that it's really bad in Los Angeles again. So, um, it doesn't look like we're going to get out. We, it we doesn't go look good, does it? Yeah, we go back right across America, really. So, start on the East Coast and go to the West Coast. But, um, no, it's not looking good. So, if it's another, well, we might as well wait to January. If, if they're going to, if they open it up in sort of December, you might as well wait another month, just do a normal... Yeah. Normal thing, but um, could our clients sort of we go when the clients are there, you know, 
and um, them months have always done well for us. I mean, if you go out there in June or uh, July, sorry, um, August, most like in London, isn't it? all the kids are on holiday and everyone goes away, so you yes. don't want to be, you know, across America or, or, or one of their big holidays. You don't want to be out there when they're, they're not um, in town because that's a complete waste of everyone's time. So, um, and what cities do you visit? Well, we do New York. I mean, that's when I started. I've done New York for a long time now, about 20 years. Um, but then we, we added to that Washington, D.C. and Los Angeles. Right. So, um, yeah. Um, yeah, that's what we do. And, well, I think it's all going to have to change now. But that's we used to do 150. We used to limit it to just 150 suits a year because I can cut them. And then my coat makers, I've got the team that I trust and – um, they can make well, you know, it's a it's a ten out of ten suit every time. It's a real, right. you know, we 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 try and get the best every time. We don't want to make you know another four or five and then have to give them to someone else and they're not quite as good because um, you give yourself a headache, you know. So we don't want all it comes that back to you in the end, doesn't it? It does, it does because it's not a good, you know, not a good thing to do. But it all works out perfectly until now. Now we can't get across there. We're going to have to go wherever we can to get work. You know, um, I know we can't travel at all at the moment, but we have a lot of countries, um, that Australia, believe it or not, and um, those are different places that keep saying, come, come, I want to order some suits. And There's lots of people, you know, not one or two, there's dozens of people there that will order if you if you can get there. But, I mean, we have to really, at the moment, look at England. Right. You know, maybe, it sounds silly to do a trunk show in England, but we might even do a... We might do a little tour of England because um, yeah, that's a good idea. There, there are people, there are people that want suits in England, but they don't know it yet. So <laughs> that's the way you find it. <laughs> exactly, and that's what we're trying to change. Do you? Um, so when you go and have a good show, you, do you come back with dozens of orders? Oh yeah, no, that's where we get all our, yeah. And we, we basically um, we do fifty in England and hundred in America. Right. So uh, yeah, we go and. Um, that's what that's the, the whole idea is going to America. The way I've built up this small business is um, to get all the orders in the in the two weeks that we go to America. We do a week in the East Coast, a week in the West Coast. Yeah. And when we come back, I don't go out. I've got a workshop at home, and I have about two two weeks of just organ, you know, cutting patterns and um, ordering the cloth in and uh, organising myself. You've got to be very disciplined. Um, and get all that work done, and then, um, you know, obviously the, the stuff that you've tried on, you've got to rip down immediately and get back to the tailors. And then after that, you've got the enjoyment of cutting some new stuff, and there's no rush because you're not going back for another three months. So and do you all... still enjoy doing that? Oh, I love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah, I love cutting patterns. I mean, that's that's why I do it. I mean, I, you know, I don't want, you know, I'm not very good um, with... Uh, you know, writing letters and emails and things like that. But, I mean, I can make a good suit. I can cut a good suit. I've done it all my life. Yeah. And I've adapted it now. Um, so I'm cutting the same thing every time, a straight, you know, a nice, comfortable suit. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it seems to work. People want it. But, um, as I say now, it's going to be a bit difficult because we can't get out to the, 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 the you know, American friends. Uh, but even so, they're still ordering. I mean, a few of them have still got one today saying, oh, look, really? I, I want to order something. And you think, well, you know, I'm not certain I'm going to come. And they're like, no, no, start it. And if you don't come, then just straight finish it. And 
and, and go from there. But I do, I, you know, they need something. You know, you don't need anything really. You know, you, don't, you can't go out. So, no. um, yeah. <laughs> and you get some clients that say, um, I'll take five of this suit and they'll go in my different houses and things like that. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we don't have many of those customers, believe it right. or not. But um, there are people like that. Yeah, they have different, you know, they have lots of houses and they want lots of, um, they want exactly the same wardrobe. Yeah. In every house, they want the same <laughs> single-breasted, double-breasted blue blazer. They want, you know, a mohair suit, a seersucker suit in every house. So when it, they don't carry any luggage at all, and they've got exactly the same wardrobe. So they just turn up and away they go. <laughs> yeah. And presumably yeah, this I'd... real problem with, you know, like everybody in, in different ways, what's happening now. And, and the mills must be suffering because they can't be selling a lot mm. of cloth. No, I think everyone's suffering. It is it's very bad. Yeah, I mean, everyone from the people that buy the cloth in and sell the cloth to us, everyone. I mean, we have people that press the suits, they're suffering. Yeah. Everyone, everyone's suffering. I mean, it's, um, it is, well, I can't, but it's unbelievable. I mean, what is happening, it's like, because, you know, we want to work. We, we're hardworking people that enjoy um enjoy work but it's not really a work it's a lifestyle to me it's a yes. you know i enjoy meeting people and um, measuring them up and making them you know what we think is the best suit in the world and it's if you can do that and people you know they really love it they they come back and say look you know i really you know, you know i've tried for ages to get a suit like this and this is exactly what i want i want i want to have another one and then and then you know we don't really want people to order four or five in one go but no. we'd like them to order four or five a year. That'd be fantastic. But, I mean, order one, get that one right, then we'll, then we'll go on to the next one. Um, and, and just build up a wardrobe slowly. You know, you don't need to, you don't want any sort of um, vulgar sort of people coming in ordering sort of 10 suits in one go just to, just, I want a wardrobe now. And, then, you know, that's not the fun of it. The fun of it is coming in, trying, doing the first fitting, finding out what the client wants, and, and the client finds out what I can make. And then when they've got the first one, they wear it and it drops in. As you know, you know, the funds were just dropping. We cut the canvas on the bias a little bit and the body heat and the things you put in your pockets will just drop the fronts down and it kicks off your, the jacket will kick off your hips and it would actually bed itself in underneath your arm. So it really will fit you like um, nothing else. It's all hand stitched. And when that happens, it's like, you know, the customer said, I can't go anywhere else now because they don't understand why it feels so good, but they know that, it's just yeah. like pajamas. They say to me, "It's just so comfortable." <laughs> but it's the long, loose stitching. It's the, it's the um, the way that we put the suit together. It's quite unique and it's extremely comfortable. You don't even know you've got a suit on, really. Um, no, that's exactly. why I, I didn't used yeah. to like wearing a suit because it was very constrictive and yeah, you know, felt yes. like, felt not just didn't feel comfortable. But that, that's totally changed now. I, I understand the picture. Do you ever do any um, ladies tailoring? Uh, not really. We do a right, few, right. but we don't really um, advertise it at all. But we have made, I think we probably make a couple at the moment, but oh, we are, yeah, we make them for Lady in America or two, but um, it's always customers' wives or clients' right. wives. You can't say no. You can't say no. If no. someone's ordering a lot of suits, a, customer, you know, a gentleman, and then they bring the wife in and the wife says, oh, I'd, I'd like to order something. You can't say no. But if, if a lady phones up, you say no. You know what I mean? I would never, I don't advertise women. Um, yeah. Women are different um, figures. 
I mean, lots of them. It, it's just um, it costs more money. You need more fittings, um, and also, um, yeah, they might change their mind. You know, we're a, we're <laughs> that is their prerogative. Yeah, yeah, but it's very costly when you're cutting cloth. You know, when you're making a man's suit, it's so simple. It's the same sort of roughly same length jacket every time. The sleeves are the same. But with ladies, they can come in with a picture one one month, and then the next month come in with another picture from Vogue magazine, and it's um, yeah, yeah. it's like four, you know, four inches, five inches longer, and you think, well, this this is not to the knee. The other one was just above your backside, and they go, oh no, but I, that's what I want. I want it like this. And you think, well, I've cut it like we discussed two months ago. I can't just so, stick it back um, on again. No, so it's um, it's. See what we do. We have a style that never changes. A gentleman's yeah. suit is is um, it's a really iconic sort of look. Timeless, we, yes. Yeah. So we just keep to the same thing, and we we can't go far wrong with that. But with ladies' stuff, um, sometimes you can because the time passes. Especially, um, yeah, I've got a couple on the go at the moment in the, you know um, overcoats and things for ladies in America. Obviously, we haven't been out there for six months. If we don't get out there next month. It could be a year, and then <laughs> then they might change their mind again. They might say, "Oh no, I don't it like that." I'm Not to mention like change shape. Yeah. No. Well. Yeah. I mean, men they put on weight, drop weight, but um, we leave inlays in the in the suit, so it's very simple. You you can let them out three or four inches if, well, three inches. I say you could probably let out the um the jacket and the trousers. But no one really puts on that much weight, really. I mean, I have since I was 16. But, I mean, normally when you're um, up and running, a lot of these people, they keep the same physique. You know, yeah. they're so um, uh, sort of vain or fit. Yes. They just keep, they just keep uh, the same physique um, for decades. It's, it's, uh, it's amazing. <laughs> and in <Yeah>. this lockdown, <laughs> have you, um, have you, uh, have you <laughs> caught many carp, mate? Oh, <laughs> oh. I ha- I have actually. I've been out fishing quite a bit. Have you? Have you? And um, I've been catching a few. None of the big ones, but um, yeah, I'm looking forward to go. I'm taking my nephew go uh, fishing on Tuesday. Um, so um, no, that should be good. Yeah, I do enjoy me fishing. Um, I'm doing more of it than ever now because of the lockdown. Because of the um, well, you might as well. Yeah, you might as well. Sort of, we've got a little place in Hampshire, and we're we're down there. Um, well, every weekend. Every weekend we're down there, so really? it's, it's lots of lakes down there for me to fish. And um, yeah, I can't fish them all, so I mean, I might as well get stuck into it now. Are you so, still camping uh, out in your bivvy and stuff? <laughs> no, I don't do that. Well, I might do that once in the summer. I might do it. I've got a friend right. coming down who uh, who wants to go fishing, and I think we're going to do a night. But um, I haven't been. I just do days yeah. uh, in the summertime. It seems to be um, I'm catching fish in the afternoon. I mean, it's a bit complicated, but it's when the oxygen levels are really um, at yeah. its peak. Um, and a and nice, south, a nice southerly breeze. Huh? Yeah, a nice southerly, southerly breeze. breeze. That's it. I mean, it is warm enough now. The fish are moving about there. They're they're um, they're on the move all the time. So yeah. you, you can catch them in the afternoon or evening, and um, that does me a few uh, four or five hours fishing, and that's perfect. If you can get one or two in the in the net, then that's fantastic. It's like a week's holiday, mate, that, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It does, it does seem like we've been on holiday. The trouble is I keep forgetting what day it is. That's the trouble. I don't yeah, know if it's yeah. a Tuesday or Wednesday, but, I, you know, I want to get back to what it was. You know, that's the thing. I, I, I enjoy, you know, working and just meeting people and, um, you know, 
making nice suits. That's what I want to do. Yeah, I, I couldn't um, agree more. It's the whole getting out there and enjoying what you do and being hmm. part of something. And, you know, whilst we're all, you know, obviously doing what we're doing for a good reason, it's just all very odd, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is odd. But um, I think, obviously, it will get back. But, I mean, um, let's hope it gets back sooner rather than later. I mean, if, it's, if, if we're in this for a few years, I mean, it is going to be uh, devastating for the tailors who, who have made a living out of travelling um, yeah. Yeah. because you've got to, you know, take what you can from, from England. I'm sure there are lots of people here that want suits, but they just um, they just they don't realise, you know, what what you can have if if you if you've you know if you've got the money basically if you can um, afford it then you could have a be- you know if you've got you know a big house and you've got yourself all the cars you want and your boats you want and and you've got everything like that then all of a sudden you you realise I don't need to wear this sort of rubbish suit I can wear something that fits me and it feels comfortable and people you know you know, come up, walk up to me in the street and say, oh, where'd you get that suit from? That looks amazing. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, as soon as they get one, then they think, well, I'm going to want another one. And then it just goes on and on and on. And they tell their friends, you know, and that's how it, that's what it's like in America. And it, it you know, that's what it, it, people want to, but it's just getting your, getting the first foot in the door, isn't it really? Yeah, it's the same with anything, isn't it? And I, but I know that I've been out and, Someone said to me, how lovely to see you. What a beautifully cut suit. And you think, yeah, <laughs> job's done. That's it. That's <laughs> it. Yeah, that's it. Brilliant. Listen, mate, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. I'm so glad oh. we've caught up. And when we can safely, we need to have a return match lunch, don't we? Yeah, definitely. 100%. Yeah, look forward to that. And yeah. let's just uh, let's keep in touch. And I hope things improve for you. And, um, and I'll you. let you know when the pod goes up. Okay, mate. Yeah, thanks, Nick. Super nice to talk to, to you. you. Love to see you. Will do, mate. Yeah, all the best. Take care, buddy. Cheers. Bye-bye. Ta-da. Well, there you go, folks. That was Stephen Hitchcock. What a very interesting, funny man he is. Lovely to talk to. Always got a story. Always chirpy. That's what I love about Stephen. He's always upbeat and he's always, you know, cracking on with his life and doing things that interest him. As he says, I'm not a guy who's into numbers and writing and... No, but I can make a bloody good suit. And I think, you know, we all need to be aware of our strengths. Thanks, as always, for listening. You are still doing so in your hundreds and your thousands. Um, And as I always do, I will remind you that Around the World in 80 Cigars, the book is available. And if you haven't read it, you really need to get yourself a copy. You can do so by uh, logging on to www.nick-hammond.com and there you can buy your book. You'll find it on Amazon, you'll find it in bookshops, you'll find it in all your favourite cigar merchants. Ask them to get you a copy if you can't see it and they will provide. Thanks again for listening. I hope everyone's good. We'll keep going, keep seeing what's out there and, uh, and we'll keep safe. All the best to you. Bye-bye.